placed for his purpose. And that's really, you know, what the book of Esther is about. It is about God doing what God does. He promotes himself because God can do that. And the Lord certainly uh, is going to show up in a big way today. We, we heard about Haman last week and just the narcissistic attitude that he had about life, that everything revolved around him. And um, we know that he had these huge gallows, 50 cubits high, built so that he could hang his enemy uh, there uh, so everyone could see and had him high enough that the folks would be able to see him from, from a far distance. And, and um, <clears throat> this week we're going to see how God steps up to protect his people. And it's amazing to me when I think about how God protects. And um, oftentimes I have found myself, not because God isn't willing to protect me, but I find myself running from God's protection. There are certain things that I want to do. Anybody ever in here ever hit send on something and you went, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that? And you knew the whole time you shouldn't have done it, but you went ahead and did it anyway. And then once you've done it, you can't take it back. So now you have to lie about it and you have to pretend you didn't mean to do it and all this other stuff. But the truth is that's what was in your heart and you sent it. Um, Other times we've said stuff that came out of our mouth that we're going, oh, man, did that really just come out of my mouth? And unfortunately, it's true. And so a lot of times we're running from this protection from God. But folks, whenever we're living in faith and we're trusting God, I'm telling you, God's protection is the most awesome thing you will ever see in your life. God takes care of us because we cannot take care of ourselves. And that's the beauty of who we serve. So if you have your Bible, we're going to actually turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 100 and verse 3, excuse me, Psalm 100, verse 3. So if you have your Bible, let's stand together as you turn there to Psalm 100, verse 3. And we're going to read this together. This is how we're going to start out with Esther. We're going to be reminded of who God is. And Psalm 100, verse 3 says, Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Father, this morning we trust that you are our shepherd. That, Father, you are guiding us and protecting us. But at the same time, Lord, when we get out of line, you use that staff to bring us back, to correct us. Father, when we fall down in that valley that we weren't supposed to go in, that crevice of life that we weren't supposed to get ourselves in, you take the crook of your staff and you grab us up and you rescue us again. And Father, for some of us this morning, that's what we need. Lord, we confess to you this morning that there are many in this room probably who are living in an area of life, God, that we have no business living in. We have gone to a place, Lord, that we don't belong as Christians. We have attitudes that we should not have as as believers Father, we have anger within us towards people that you have told us to love, even if they're unlovable. Uh, Father, you have called us to be different. So, Lord, this morning, rescue us out of our own hole that we have dug ourselves. Because we confess to you, Father, that we need you. Or there are others, Father, who are tired. Life has them down. Father, give them another fight. God, they're here. Give them, that, give them that strength to stand up again and to continue in the faith. 
Father, there are some who have one foot in the world and one foot in the church, and they're being pulled apart. Lord, may you remove the scales from their eyes so that they can see just how beautiful the pasture is that you have for us. And Lord, even though the pasture sometimes on this earth seems awful, awful sparse, Father, we thank you that heaven is full of the beautiful green grass that we will need for all eternity. Father, thank you for being our shepherd today. In Christ's name I pray, amen. You know, the reason I want to talk about God who protects and this shepherd is because, folks, there are a lot of times in our life that you and I create our own issues. Anybody else pretty good at creating your own issues? Creating your own problems. We don't need help. We, we do it ourselves. And, and, and once we've done it, we're like, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. And then God comes in and, and we, we recognize our sin. We recognize what we've done. And, and the Lord begins to bring us up out of that mess that we've created. And that doesn't mean that we don't have to maybe say, I'm sorry. That doesn't mean we don't have to correct some things that we've done. But thank the Lord that he doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us, but that he protects us. He comes and he rescues us because that's what the good shepherd does here there's a man who's coming after the people of God we find him in Esther and this man who's coming after the people of God is a man who has absolute hatred absolute hatred for Mordecai Mordecai is the uncle of Esther Esther is the queen. She's been put in place there by God. God is using people that he has put in the place at the perfect time to serve him and do for him. And and in verse 14 of chapter number 5, we find this in verse 14. It says, have a wooden gallows 50 cubits high made in the morning. Ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. This is how we leave chapter 5. We leave chapter 5 with this concern that there will be a a hanging of of a man of God, a hanging of one of God's people. And so as God always does, and, and, and for some of us, we want to help God out. Listen, God doesn't need our help. God does not need our help whatsoever. What God needs is our obedience. But I think a lot of times we would rather offer God help than obedience. Lord, do you understand the whole situation? Let me help you out, Lord. Let me help you make a good decision, God. Matter of fact, if you don't want to make it, Lord, I'll go ahead and make the decision, and you'll realize that I'm right. And unfortunately, this is really how sometimes we think when it comes to our faith. God doesn't need our help. How do we know this? Because in Esther chapter 6, let's see what God does. It says here that during the night, we have something amazing happen. The king could not sleep. Let's read about it. It says, during that night, the king could not sleep, so he gave an order to bring the book of records, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. Now, I want you to listen. This king couldn't sleep. Why? Because God didn't want him to sleep. The king couldn't get rest. Why? Because God didn't want him to get rest. He was burdened with something. Something was stirring within him. He wasn't sure what it was, but God knew. God had a plan. God was there to protect his people. A lot of his people had no clue that they were even in trouble, but God did. And so God sets in motion things that we can't see. 
that we can't always understand, but God knows what's happening. So the king, this man who has, is the greatest in the land, God does not allow him to sleep. And so what he does, he calls for the records to be read, the chronicles, and, and they began to read about them. And, and in verse 2 it says, And it was found written that Mordecai had reported about Bithana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who were doorkeepers, that they had sought to attack King Assyrius. You notice what God's doing here, don't you? There has been no thought whatsoever about Mordecai and what he had done previously. But God's people are in trouble. So God brings to the memory of this great man in the nation, the greatest man of all, the most powerful man, that, hey, there's been someone who saved you. There's been a man who has stepped up and done something amazing for you. So, let's keep reading. Then the king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? Now remember, what's supposed to happen to Mordecai? He's supposed to be hung. He's supposed to be put on on these gallows where the whole world can see him. But but God, isn't isn't it amazing how but God sounds so good in scripture? It's like everything's happening, everything's going wrong, but God. All of a sudden, God steps up like God always does because he is the good shepherd. He protects his people. And he asked the question, what has been done? What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. So the king said, and I love this part, who's in the courtyard? Should it matter who's in the courtyard? Nope. But that's the question that God put on the king's heart. Who hates Mordecai more than anybody? Come on. Guess who's in the courtyard? (laughs) Haman, Haman, however you want to put it, had just entered the outer courtyard. There he is. In order to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai, that's what he's there for on the wooden gallows which he had prepared for him. So the king's servant said to him, Behold, Manas is standing in the courtyard. And the king said, Have him come in. And then he came in, and the king said to him, What is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? Now what is this man thinking at this point? He's thinking, man, I'm his favorite. I'm going to do the best I can. Like if, if he wants to honor me, oh, man, I'm going to take advantage of this. So he answers him as only a narcissist could. He says to himself, whom would the king desire to honor more than me? Therefore, he said to the king, for the man whom the king desires to honor, have them bring a royal robe. Not just any royal robe, but what kind? One that the king has worn. Man, I want to feel like a king. I don't want to just have the robe, this pretend robe. I want the real thing. I I want it to be real. I want this to be as real as possible. And the horse on which the king has ridden, not just any horse, give me the true royal horse. And And on whose head a royal turban has been placed. Then order them to hand the robe and the horse over to the one of the king's noble officials and have them dress the man whom the king desires to honor and lead him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him so it shall be done for the man whom the king desires to honor. And he's sitting there thinking, 
I can't wait. I'm about to be paraded in front of all of these people. I'm going to be on a horse, have a turban on my head. I'm going to have on a royal robe. I am the man. But God has been stirring the heart of the king. He's been dealing with the heart of the king. God is going to rescue his people. And the king said to him in verse 10, quickly take the robe and the horse just as you have said and do so for Mordecai the Jew. Why is that important? Because he now knows. It's been secret to this point, but now he knows the truth. Esther has said, these are the people. These are my people. This is, this is my family. This is the man. This is, this is the ones. He's a Jew. This is him who is sitting at the king's gate. Do not fail to do any of all that you have said. So he took the robe and horse and dressed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square. Can you imagine how angry this man has to be? How humiliated he has to be. He comes in to ask for the head, to ask for the body, to hang him up high. And instead, now he has to honor him. Why? Because this is what God does. God not only protects us, but God raises his people up so that they can rescue a lost and dying world. So it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. So here he goes. Verse 12 says that Mordecai returned to the king's gate while Amon hurried home mourning with his head covered. He informed Zeresh's wife and all his friends of everything that had happened to him. And his wise men and his wife said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish origin, you will not prevail over him but certainly fall before him. Why would she say that? What would it be that would, that would bring her to this conclusion? Because she knows the God of the Jews. They know what happened when the Lord led them out of Egypt. They know the stories, the miracles, the great things that have taken place in the life of those who believe and trust in the one true God. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly brought him on to the banquet which Esther had prepared. I imagine he's already forgotten all about the banquet. But God's not done yet. You see, when God saves his people, he doesn't just save them a little bit. He saves them all the way. Chapter 7 says, Now the king and Haman came and drank wine with Esther, the queen. And the king said to Esther on the second day, also as they drank their wine at the banquet, what is your request, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you, and what is your wish? Up to half the kingdom, it shall be done. Now here's her chance, right? This is it. She says, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given as my request and my people as my wish. We have been sold, and my people to be destroyed, killed, and eliminated. 
Now, if we'd only been sold as slaves, men and women, I would have kept silent because the distress would not be sufficient reason to burden the king. Man, that would bug me too if I had to be sold as a slave. She says, listen, this is life and death. And the king seriously asked Queen Esther, who is he and where is he who would presume to do such a thing? What do you think is happening over there with the other fellow in the room right now? Right? We're talking about, man, something, this, something's, something's happening here. He's thinking about what his wife and, her fr- and their friends have told him, right? What did they tell him? You're going to fail. You're about to fall because you have come up against the God of Israel. The king says, asked Queen Esther, who is he and where is he who would presume to do such a thing? And Esther said, a foe and an enemy is the wicked Haman. Then Haman became terrified before the king and queen. Yeah, he's terrified. He realizes something. Just like every person who struggles with narcissism eventually learns, it's not about you. In the church, I have watched over and over and over again how people make things about them. Let me tell you something, and I'm going to remind you of some things. We recently honored a man in our church named Howard Berry. And I wanted to honor that man because of all the things that he has done for this church and he has meant to me as a pastor. He has done so much for me, for my family. It is amazing to me when I think about how much has changed. When I think about him, how many opportunities he had to make that change about himself, but he refused to. He said, whatever God wants, whatever God desires, that's what we need to do as a church. I have seen other people within the church who think everything is about them. This is Mon. This is his moment. He is now terrified because he finally learns Not everything is about you. Those who believe that life is about them, that every church decision should be about them, they become very lonely. They become very angry. They become very bitter. My wife and I have watched over and over and over again as as people get older. You can always tell those who never were comfortable with anything that wasn't about them because as they get older, they just become bitter and angry. Sad and tired because life has no longer been about them. There are many young people in this church who need to understand that life is not about you. Life is about God. Life is about bringing honor and glory to God. Life is about singing the praises of God. Life is about sharing the good news of God and his son, Jesus Christ. If only this man would have learned it sooner. If only this man would have learned it sooner. But he didn't. Everything was about him. Watch what God does. The king then got up in his anger, verse 7, 
from drinking wine and went into the palace garden. Amon stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw the harm had been determined against him by the king. Now when the king returned from the palace garden into the place where they had been drinking wine, Amon was falling on the couch where Esther was. Then the king said, Will he even assault the queen with me in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered his face. Nabona, one of the eunuchs who stood before the king, said, Indeed, behold, the wooden gallows standing at his own house, 50 cubits high, which he made for Mordecai, who spoke good in behalf of the king. And then the king said what? Hang him on it. You want to be on the side of God. You want God fighting for you. You want God protecting you. Because those who come against God's people, those who come against those who belong to him, will suffer the consequences. And the king said, hang him on it. So they hanged him on on the wooden gallows which he had prepared for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. What is it that you need today? What is it that you truly need today? You don't need life to change for you to be better. You don't have to have everything going your way in order for you to have joy. Joy comes from knowing that no matter what has happened to me, I belong to God. And if God is for me, who can be against me? But you see, in order to gain protection from, from the shepherd or by the shepherd, you first must be a sheep. I've got to be a sheep first. I've got to be one who receives this gift of Jesus Christ. I've got to be one that comes to a place of saying, Lord, I will trust you. I belong to you. I want to be yours. And the Bible says whenever we cry out to God and that we believe that Jesus Christ was the payment, that he died for us, that he rose again, that we will be saved when we call upon the name of the Lord. So if I want protection, I've got to be a sheep. Even as a sheep, though, you must understand that you need protection. This is one of the biggest things that I'm watching now within my own life from time to time is whenever I think, well, I'm okay. I'm good. The very sermons I've preached in the past, I find myself still struggling with today. I'm okay. I'm good. Lord, so-and-so needs you worse than I do. It'll be all right. How foolish can we be, even as believers? We need the protection of God. Maybe God's calling you to join us here at this church. Maybe he's calling you to ministry. I... My prayer for some of you young people that are in this room today, you will understand the call of ministry in your life. God is calling you to do something great. God is calling you to step away from what everybody else, all your other peers are doing, and simply follow him in ministry. For some of us in this room, God's just simply saying, trust me today. Trust me with your situation." Trust me with what you're going through. 
We're like, God, you're not working fast enough. And God is saying, it's not on your timetable, it's on mine. Trust me. I sat and watched my father for years not attend church. Instead, struggle. Struggle in a lot of ways in life. And I'd given up on my father, honestly. And I thought my dad will never be in church. My dad will never be that man. But my mother continued to pray and continued to pray and continued to pray. And it took a almost the loss of their oldest child when my brother was hurt in Peoria, Illinois. Peoria, Illinois is a long way from Livingston, Texas, by the way. But a church back in Livingston, Texas, where my mother attended, did the weirdest thing ever, but it's what got my dad's attention. You ever notice that when God works on somebody, it's the weirdest things that that work, that, that make it happen? What they did for my parents, what, what God laid on their heart to do, touched my dad in a way that my dad has, the, the, the Saturday, I believe it was, that we came back, that we picked him up from the airport. The very next day was a Sunday, and he was in church. What they did was they took a whole lot of rolled quarters. Because when you're up there in the hospital, what do you do? It was before you could slide everything. Right, and all you young kids are like, what are quarters for in a hospital? I'll just take mom and dad's little card and just slide it, right? Before we hit the easy button with life, we had to drop quarters in. And they just kept sending quarters to my parents the whole time that they were there, the whole time they were there. And it just, it just touched my dad. My dad said, I never knew that a church, that's, this is the attitude of my father, I never knew a church would actually love us like this. Quarters, folks. And my dad has been in church ever since. Today, God is saying, trust me. Well, Lord, you're just not moving fast enough. Listen, I thought the same thing. And what God showed me was, Tom, it's not going to be you that's going to touch the heart of your father. It's going to be me. Just pray for God to do what needs to be done. And you just keep loving on people. Right? Well, I've got to tell them. No, just, just love them. Because God's better at this than we are. Isn't that the truth? Whatever God's calling you to do today, be faithful and do it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have all this. You don't need us to help you with it. You've called us to love on people, to stand by people, and just to trust you with those people. So, Father, today, this morning, we admit to you that sometimes we have pushed ahead of you and probably done more hurt to a situation than good. So, Father, help us to be faithful to you. Help us to trust that your timing is perfect. 
Lord, if this is the place you're telling us to come and worship, Lord, then may we step out of that aisle and say, I'm ready, let's go. Or maybe today somebody says, I've never been a sheep. (laughs) I've never been under the protection of God. And Lord, today, today may they come and say, I want to trust my heavenly father. And I want to receive the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. Lord, today, have your way within us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.